I'm John, and this is In Orbit. Welcome to the podcast, listeners around the world, and thank you for tuning in and staying in our orbit. I'm excited to be your host for this episode. I'm flying solo this week as Lubna's out on holiday, but a big shout out to Lubna. I hope you're enjoying that time, my friend. The past few weeks, we've been on a roll with regard to sustainability. In episode 12, we heard from Gotam Krishnaya, Vice President of Innovation and Technology for KBR Sustainable Technology Solutions Business. He spoke to us about how KBR solutions are helping customers meet their sustainability objectives and about where those innovations are heading in the near future. In episode 13, we heard from Ben Sawford, KBR Vice President of Sustainable Energy, talking about the major challenges of our current energy crisis and opportunities for navigating it and accelerating change. Well, in this episode, we're gonna stay in that vein, but we're gonna talk more specifically about climate change, about what KBR is doing to take action against it, and why that's so critical for our customers and stakeholders. With us today to talk about that is Adam Perlow. Hello, everyone. I'm John Arnold again. This is the In Orbit podcast. Thanks again for choosing to listen to us. As you heard in the open, we're talking today about climate change, but more specifically about what KBR is doing to take action against it. With us to talk about that is Adam Perlow. Adam is Principal Strategy and Commercial Consultant for Sustainable Solutions within KBR's Infrastructure Services Australia business, and he is the KBR Net Zero Project Lead. Welcome, Adam. Thanks, John. Well, I suppose we should dive right in. This might be ground that people are familiar with, but for the sake of argument that a lot of people aren't aware of what greenhouse gases are and why it's critical that we as a planet reduce them, let's talk a little bit about that right up top. Yeah, that's a great idea, John. So, Essentially, greenhouse gases are gases that trap heat in the atmosphere. So they do this by absorbing photons that would otherwise go have gone back in, out into space, essentially. So there's four main greenhouse gases that we talk about when we talk about human greenhouse gas emissions. These are like carbon dioxide, methane, nitrous oxide, and then a host of fluorinated gases, which essentially refrigerants and other gases of this nature emitted from industrial activities. So these gases have different warming contributions depending on how they absorb light and different lifespans in the atmosphere. So carbon, nitrous oxide and the fluorinated gases have long lifespans between like 300 and thousands of years in the atmosphere. But methane is shorter, so it's only about 10 to 12 years. But even though methane is shorter, despite this shorter lifespan, it still has a 25% times uh, worse global warming potential than carbon dioxide when it's in the environment. So when we look at what these, like how much of these emissions come out and where they're from, like essentially 80% of the emissions that uh, come from human activity are directly from carbon dioxide. Right. And so carbon dioxide is primarily emitted through burning fossil fuels, solid waste, trees, biological materials. And you got Methane comes from, it's emitted from you're producing coal, natural gas and oil, and it also comes from a lot of agricultural activities like livestock, so enteric fermentation, and uh, also other agricultural practices as well. So nitrous oxide as well is emitted by agricultural land use and also a lot of industrial related activities. So if you have a look at that, essentially is the source of like human activity and the generation of these greenhouse gas emissions. 
And if you have a look at how much we actually emitted this, so humanity in 2020 emitted about 38 billion metric tons of these greenhouse gases into the into the atmosphere. Wow. And so that was like the majority of those came from China. It was about 30% of it came from China. And the US was next with about 14% of those emissions. So it's like, I think... Part of the question is like, you know, that's what they are, but you know, why is it important that we reduce them essentially? Right. So it's like, you know, all of those gases, it's important to recognize that all those gases, except for the fluorinated gases, are, are genuinely have naturally occurring, occurring sources and sequestration absorb, which absorption cycles. So they're not uncommon and they're not unnatural, but like the human activity is altering the natural cycles. So we're adding more and more of these gases into the atmosphere, but then we're also, through our activity with forests and soils, we're interrupting the natural absorption cycles. Right. So what that, <laughs> that leaves us with is a situation where we, human activity is releasing more and more greenhouse gases into the atmosphere and the environment can't remove it. So, and the data shows that the annual rate of increase in the atmospheric carbon dioxide like over the last 60 to 100 years is actually about, oh, sorry, about 60 years, is about 100 times faster than any previous natural increase that had been identified. Especially, and it's essentially since like 11,000 to 17,000 years ago, the last ice age. So the natural occurring process coming out of the ice age where carbon dioxide increases rapidly is about 100 times worse than that. And so even the, the recorded part, the concentration in the atmosphere is actually really quite high. So historically, so there's ice core data that shows carbon dioxide concentration in the atmosphere ranges between ice ages anywhere from about 175 parts per million during an ice age up to about a maximum of about 300 parts per million right and so at pre-industrial revolution so mid 1700s the actual co2 concentration in the earth's atmosphere was about 280 parts per million so in 2021 that is now well from 2021 it was 421 parts per million. Goodness. So significantly higher right, than it's ever right. been recorded in at least 800,000 800, years from the data we can find. So what does this mean? So the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, that's the IPCC. So essentially that's the United Nations body I see. for assessing the science related to climate change. So they've, they've analysed what this all means and they've basically with high confidence recorded that this is having measurable impacts now on ecosystems, on, you know, weather patterns, on the intensity of, like, basically anything to do with the climate. And it's like, and so even ocean acidification is being recorded as well. And these things are going to have only get worse as the concentration of carbon increases through human activity. And it's absolutely critical that we take action on that to limit the warming potential of these carbon, these greenhouse gas emissions. Right. And so that, that leads perfectly into the next question is that m much in the past few years, we've heard a lot about the concept of being net zero. What, what do we mean when we say net zero? Cause I think a lot of people might, might get it wrong that it's, you know, a, a complete halting of emitting carbon dioxide and other greenhouse gases. What do we mean when we say net zero and how does being net zero help with climate action? Yeah, that's a great question. So there's there's actually a few terms that are, that are used to describe taking some sort of action on climate change. The two main ones are carbon neutrality and net zero. So I'll talk about carbon neutrality first. I think it's okay. probably useful because 
carbon, and to be clear, KBR has been carbon neutral since 2019 for all of our direct emissions right. and our business travel, which is quite it's quite an achievement in itself. But the key here with carbon neutrality, essentially it means you calculate all of the emissions that you undertake in the performance of your work and the activities we do as a, as a business, and you, and you offset those by purchasing from an organisation who has more carbon absorption uh, rates in their operations. So, for instance, an organisation planting trees. Right. You buy credits from them to balance out the amount of emissions that you are generating. So you have then a, a balance of I'm emitting this many tonnes of CO2 and I'm also purchasing the, the use of these trees to absorb the same amount. That essentially is carbon neutrality. Right. And net zero, though, is actually has quite a strict definition and it's about aligning, it's about decarbonising your operations. So not just balancing, you must decarbonise. And so the decarbonisation pathway, as it's mandated, needs to be in accordance with the 1.5 degree warming pathway, so which is projected to go over the next 100 years, essentially to try and make sure that the temperature, average temperature rise does not exceed 1.5 um, degrees Celsius. So what that really means for a decarbonisation plan is that by 2030, we'd have to be between 40 and 50% lower carbon emissions than what we are in 2020. And by no later than 2050, be at least 90% of all of those emissions reduced for our operations. And so the key here with net zero is that you are, the intent is to continue your operations, be productive, but do so in a way that is not emitting carbon dioxide. It's then, which is quite a challenge, and it is highly reliant on a whole ecosystem, um, essentially being available of low carbon products and whatnot. Right. It's quite a challenge, and it's like quite a journey, but it's one that's becoming ever more critical because it's the only way to truly take action on the the climate issues. Right. So let's talk about why then it is so important. I mean, intuitively, it is just for the environment's sake, but let's talk about why it is uh, important for KBR as a business to be net zero and what are some examples of how we're honoring that commitment to net zero? What's clear is that action on climate change is necessary and the world needs to act. And so we as an organization are part of that and the future is depending on organizations like us taking action on climate change. But also we're in an environment where the business environment has also changed as a result of the world needing to take action. So. Finance, financiers, banks and whatnot, it's like even the availability of credit to big organisations most often comes with um, sustainability-related KPIs. And so the you get better credit and better terms if you have if you are taking action on climate change and other sustainability-related um, initiatives. Then you've also got like investors. So there's investor pressure to actually have um, taken action on climate change issues. And so some of the investors, many of them, some of which are very, very vocal about this. We know BlackRock is some of this particularly vocal, but they're not the only ones. Vanguard Group as well is another big investor. These are these are companies who have committed to net zero as well. And like essentially once you're on a net zero pathway, you need your partners and those people who, are, who you're invested in to also be undertaking um, decarbonisation activities or you can't achieve your own goals. We have an element where governments want it as well. So it's been legislated in the UK that essentially decarbonisation is like critical for engaging any of the work associated with um, uh, the UK government. There's also, and they have strict rules about disclosing climate-related risks and climate-related emissions. And then you've got that 
moving as well into the United States with the Security and Exchange Commission proposal to have that part of the reporting. But you also have an element where if you want to do business with the US government, there's an element where you must demonstrate you know, decarbonisation planning, what are you doing? Um, in, in that environment, you can say there's a lot of external pressures really to be in a position where we're like, okay, we can demonstrate that we're part of the solution as well. Right. Um, and not a liability on this, um, a liability on those those in which we work with and also for those that we want to work with in future. And so, and this is what we're seeing a competitive environment where our competitors are doing the same thing too because everyone is in that ecosystem essentially where it's progressing to a decarbonisation world. The real reason why it's so critical is essentially is the nature of greenhouse gas accounting, though, because there's there's obviously emissions that are in your direct control, and these are the things that happen at your own facilities and, and whatnot. But there's an element where the greenhouse gas accounting, you must, you're responsible for those in your indirect, um, so in, indirect emissions, which are referred to those in your supply chain. So the carbon emissions associated with anything you've bought, so to produce that thing you've bought, and then also the carbon emissions to do that associated with anything that you've made from, you know, the use of it. Um, so if you make a car, the use of the fuel right. for the life of that car is counted downstream. So the implication is that you essentially have a system where you can't achieve net zero or decarbonisation on your own you must decarbonize your supply chain as well. And so essentially it's where there's this ecosystem that's growing and growing with more and more companies entering this environment because with as, as soon as you've made net zero commitments, you're on the hunt for other organizations who can deliver goods and services that you need to deliver high quality so goods and services to your client, but they do so in a manner that is low carbon intensity and progressively lower as you try to achieve your net zero pathway. And so like we it's become almost a strategic imperative to go along this path, which is, you know, in addition to doing the right thing, which is not serendipity, it's by design. We're an element where doing the right thing and actually business commercial interests are aligning to go and take proper action on climate change. It's an exciting right. exciting eventuality that we've got to and so look, if we look back at KBR, so back in 2020, we made the commitment to achieve net zero. And since then, we've made further formal commitments to make to achieve net zero in accordance with science-based targets, which is the world standard on demonstrating that we are going to take the decarbonisation actions along that 1.5 degree pathway. And so we're making progress as an organisation to implement that. That's outstanding. I mean, it's, it's uh, encouraging to hear that it's, you know, it's embedded in such uh, in every part of business from investing to um, operations and uh, for each specific business and in the supply chain. So let's talk a little bit about KBR specifically. Tell us about KBR's net zero project. What What is that and, and what is its mission? What are you up to? Yeah, so the net zero project essentially is set up to deliver on the commitments to become net zero. So what the intention is to go and um, plan and execute the net zero pathway for KBR. So it's an internal project run out of the sustainable solutions market sector over here in Australia. So we have a team of sustainability professionals across Australian offices that deliver the various capabilities that are needed to you know, transform an organisation like KBR um, into being uh, net zero. And so at the moment, there's sort of three main areas of work progressing currently with the projects. So we're in the front end of the projects, it's best to say. There's like baselining, baselining and road mapping. There's stakeholder engagement and communications, and then there's initiative, decarbonisation initiative, identification and planning. So with baselining, it's like we've already established 
like with quite quite um, good quality, all of our direct emissions from our from our operations and from our business travel. We've been reporting that for years, but the the rest of the indirect emissions are quite complex and they're quite difficult to calculate. And so the current activity is scaring the scaring our systems, getting the data needed to go and actually give an accurate footprint of our indirect emissions and where they come from and the extent to which we um, to, they contribute to our greenhouse gas emissions as KBO as a whole. And then also that would then lead into the road mapping element of that where we go, okay, here is what it looks like as a complete picture of our greenhouse gas emissions. And these, this is the roadmap and the decarbonisation pathway we need to achieve for these different scopes of emissions to get to the point where we become net zero. So that's where right in that early stages where those, well, it's those early stages of getting this plan together and the right. strategy together to actually achieve net zero which has set us up for the near-term targets being 2030 and then the no later than 2050 requirement to be a fully net zero. So that, and as you know, so that's the first part, that's the technical part, I would right. say, of this, a project like this. But this is, the implementation of this requires like considerable stakeholder engagement and communications. Like, you know, we're a big organisation with tens of thousands of staff right. all across the world. And it's like, so what we're trying to do essentially as, an, as a project is, Engage with our engage with management, engage with our staff, and like bring them along the journey of what is an exciting journey, but it is a big transform transformative journey. It touches every, <laughs> everything we do, from like the the things we buy, the choices we make, and even and the reality is that we can't achieve net zero as an organisation even without changing in, uh, the way employees commute to work. So it's like the way our people commute to work and the way they work is like actually does dictate um, the ability to achieve this. So it's so absolutely crucial that we have everyone on board this journey. And it's a part of the planning and our initial engagement activities is really making sure that we do this in a way that's going to be successful. It's a big project and we'll make sure we do it right. And then the other parts, like the third element of this is the initiative identification and planning. So there's KBR also, because we've been committed to net zero, a lot of, there's been a lot of work already done for across the world for decarbonisation. A lot of stuff out of the UK has been legislated for some time and a lot right. of great work there, but a lot of work throughout the organisation and even with, you know, us, uh, the different divisions throughout the US and throughout the world are doing things already than decarbonising. So that helped decarbonise like KBR's operations. So we're looking to pull all that together in a form where that goes and forms part of our road mapping and decarbonisation road mapping. Learn from those like wins as well and what can be um, applied to other areas of KBR. Right. And essentially, yeah, also then go and identify the rest of the initiatives that need to be implemented to go and um, give like such fastest effect essentially um, to the decarbonisation um, activities that we need to achieve. So there's plenty at the moment, lots lots in that planning phase, but really in taking it seriously and setting us up for success on what's going to be like a massive and exciting undertaking for this organisation. It definitely sounds like it. And, it, you know, it's encouraging again to hear, you know, the, the third party help we've, we've got in, in calculating what are you know, what are the, the guidelines, what are the baselines that we need to be following? And, and you mentioned um, calculating our full greenhouse gas footprint. Where do our emissions come from and how do we reduce them? With carbon accounting, there's three scopes of greenhouse gas emissions. And this is a way in which they categorize, categorize what, where the emissions are coming from. So scope one, essentially these 
these are emissions that result from the direct activities of KBR. So this is like fuel combustion at facilities, refrigerant, like leakage at, facil- at our facilities, and then running our vehicles, right? So it's like the stuff that happens with our control. Scope two emissions are, is about purchased energy. So really for KBR, it's about buying electricity and the emissions associated with the electricity consumption of our offices and whatever facilities we have. Under, understood. Scope and scope three is more complicated and that's the indirect emissions. And so when we have, so indirect emissions are things like purchased goods and services, the carbon and capital goods, the waste generated in operations, all of these kind of like uh, distribution transfer. Um, transportation of goods, your business travel, employee commuting, even like down to use of self products investment. There's a huge amount there that comes under the indirect um, emissions category or scope three. Right. So when we have a look for KBR, it's like what we've identified is that the majority of our emissions are in scope three, right? The stuff that we buy, the stuff that, you know, the business travel is a big portion of this employee commuting. It's the nature of us as a business. Other businesses, as you mentioned, like a power station, have considerable scope one emissions because they're there in the business of producing energy. Right. So it's like when we have a look, it's like we're expecting somewhat in the vicinity of about 1% of our emissions to be, 1% to 2%, to be in scope one, so stuff from our buildings and our vehicles. Scope two is probably around a bit over 10%, which is like, you know, about energy consumption here. We're probably looking like high 80s to somewhere near 90s, 90% our emissions are in the scope three area, which is frankly the hardest to abate as well yeah. because you, do, you don't have as much direct control. But at the end of it, like, do you take responsibility for the uh, emissions that are in that are associated with activities you perform? And there is a level of control and influence you have over scope three, and that is the real task at hand to, in, to commence and to understand how to go about um, reducing those emissions. And we have ideas already, obviously, and started some things. But then to actually take that to a full 90% reduction, it's quite, it's quite an undertaking. But it, I think if, so if you have a look, like if I can tell you generally about what we could do to reduce these, mm-hmm. I think, you know, scope one, when with us as a services organisation that has offices, we have more than 200 offices around the world, is like there are emissions that come from those. So some of them, refrigerants, if there are buildings with air conditioning systems that have refrigerants that have a, uh, like, fluorinated gases that are high global warming potential, that can be any leakage can be quite significant in terms of the emissions that come from that. And then you also, some of the utilities of these um, buildings use fossil fuels like LNG for hot water systems and whatnot. And some of in our cold climates, there are like there's district heating in, in around the actual buildings themselves and there's actually building warmth, something that in Australia we don't have to deal with at all, <laughs> like warming the buildings. That's right. But there are there are facilities that, in, that are in KBRs, KBR leases that require like considerable energy to maintain. And so the key here is like you there are other buildings. There's ways in which you can mitigate that by working on the buildings that you have. And then there are other buildings, buildings being built all the time that are like Green Star or other kind of, um, there's other sort of sustainability and decarbonisation standard measurements that buildings are being built to that have lower footprints in for scope one emissions. And so over time, as you imagine, you graduate towards um, buildings and facilities that have lower emissions. And we're already looking to do things like that in Australia as well, um, where as we're transitioning as we're transitioning facilities and looking at new leases, one of the key things we're doing is analysing the net zero contribution 
um, from doing so and ensuring that we maintain like uh, progress on our pathway and continue to have wins along the way by reducing our footprint in scope one. So scope two, the easiest thing, it's because it's energy consumption, is by renewable electricity. Right. So that's that's the easiest way to directly reduce it. Now, it needs to be in combination with energy reduction initiatives. So there is an element where we go and we we have already we and we already do this. So when we fit out our, our any new lease building, we go and use materials that are, you know, LED lighting where we can. We do we use recycled materials. So we, we do things that would have lower carbon footprints in the way we go and fit out our our facilities and whatnot. And there's any any of those energy consumption like energy efficiency initiatives. They help you know reduce our consumption. And then also if we buy renewable energy on top of that, essentially that's a goes a long way to just completely abating all of the scope okay. two related emissions. Yeah. And so and so one of the key things like so we've already gone and bought renewable energy certificates, KBR has, and that's reduced our our emissions by tens of thousands along in this scope two and really kicked us along the net zero pathway already, which is a great initiative. So scope three is where it gets quite complicated, I'm especially sure. <laughs> for us. Yeah. So for us, we buy lots of goods and services um, in support of the performance of the business. So the key here is that there's an element where you need to rationalise in some ways. What what are you buying? Why are you buying? Understanding the carbon footprint of the services and goods and services you buy. But then also you work with our our suppliers, our key suppliers, and get them on the pathway as well to decarbonisation. And essentially that means that every time we go and spend a dollar for services or we spend, you know, we buy the goods from these the, our key suppliers that come into our our activities, that's going to be reduced. They're going to be aligned with our redu- carbon reductions just through the activities of us continuing to operate as business as usual in some ways. So a lot of that work needs to happen in our supply chain and setting up that kind of ecosystem where our suppliers are supported as well in this along this path because it's new, it's difficult. Um, things like business travel and employee commuting, it's about making better choices where we can. There's an element we know that there's technology on the horizon for sustainable aviation fuels and there's other means in which that the future will likely be that we technological solutions to solve carbon emissions associated with business travel. But it's not here yet. And until it is, the only way is that you need to abate those by, you know, being more judicious with the way we fly, being more careful with the classes that we fly in as well because the, the higher the class, business class emits more than premium economy, which emits more than economy yeah. by, the nature, by the nature of the class and the nature of the sort of the allocation of those seating. So there's, there's things that we need to do. And even when it comes to business travel, for instance, the hotels we stay at, it's like there will be an element where decarbonising um, operations within these hotels, they become more attractive the more the lower the footprint is for the hotels we stay in and even higher cars. You know, what, what higher cars do we choose? Like... Um, hybrids, batteries, there is a huge host of things that we're looking to be able to do to go and say, you know, and progressively move along our path into decarbonisation in our operations. So there's a lot. Like, honestly, there's a a lot in that space that we're that um, we're capturing initiatives that people are already doing across the organisation because we've got a good, we've got a fantastic organisation of intelligent people who are actually already on board with what needs to happen and are making change already. And it's about helping that be corralled into a into a corporation-wide initiative, essentially, which is what this is, um, and make sure that we're all singing on the same sheet and 
I think that that's uh, it's be quite it'd be quite a task, but definitely something that's an exciting prospect. Yeah, it is very exciting. Well, you've mentioned it. It sounds like uh, the indirect emissions are are a, are a particular challenge, a particularly large challenge. What are what are some of the other challenges that the Net Zero team is currently working through to to make sure that our commitment to sustainability and net zero is a success. So probably the first the first challenge is ensuring that we capture and fully understand the detailed nature of KBR as a global business. Like we're, we're huge, we do diverse things and very exciting things. Making sure that we have a complete picture of that and be able to capture the emissions appropriately is really the first step. And that it's it's not that not as much a challenge as being a difficult task as much as it is a complicated and, and right right. Um, intensive engagement activity to make sure we get this right. And that's something we're working through now. But like the big thing and the the scope three emissions is one of the key areas of issue, but um, for data capture, but it really comes down to data capture. It's like the, I've read it compared to, you know, financial reporting 40 years ago where people really didn't have systems in place to go and, and organisations that weren't software solutions and, and just systems generally to report accurately, consistently, year on year and across organisations on how to count what carbon is emitted for different activities and whatnot. So at the moment, there's an element where we have to try and implement those kind of systems, understand, you know, where the data is and the quality of the data. Not And there's an element where we use industry, industry-based averages. So for emission factors. So as you imagine, like when it comes to generating initiatives and saying very targeted initiatives, there's an element where you need high quality data to measure the effectiveness of the implementation of those initiatives. So these are challenges that are, and it's about planning more than anything else. It's about investing um, in the data capture technology and systems that we need, and then essentially being able to know what those need to be so that as we, as we decarbonize, there is measurable improvement in what we're doing. So that that's probably one of the biggest things when it comes to data, the data fidelity. But it's challenging. Yeah, we're looking, we're relishing the challenge, the challenge at hand, and um, solving what is <laughs> quite a complex problem. Excellent. That's the spirit. I like to hear that. It sounds like we're in good hands. Uh, well, I'll, I'll I'll leave you with this question, and that is, what does the Net Zero Project have planned for the rest of 2022 and beyond? Ah. Yeah, well, it's 2022 has already been a big year. We've made a lot of progress. There's been with the engagements from the start of this year. And I'm looking, there is a lot more on the horizon for the rest for the next last six months, which we're already in now. So essentially what we're looking to do, we're looking to complete our scope three and our complete baselines. We'll get a full picture of where our emissions are coming from. We're going to be developing our roadmap. So essentially we understand how to decarbonize and how quickly we need to do act act on each one of the categories of our emissions. So essentially what would be considered the plan, we'll be submitting that to the science-based targets initiative to go and get that validated against the 1.5 degree pathway. Um, And look, so that's the, again, the technical part of like, you know, really what the project is doing, but there's an element of, you know, there's going to be a lot more stakeholder engagement, organizational sort of change management pieces, and a lot of communications over the next six months across all levels of business to go and make sure that the implementation strategy will be effective, make sure we have the engagement we need for people to be involved and contribute and they understand, you know, what we're doing and why we're doing it. And so, like, for me, that's probably one of the most exciting parts of this as well. And, like, in like we still have to do decarbonisation initiatives along the way too. So we'll still be working with the businesses to go and implement things like that. I know working internally with the Australian team to do these things as well. 
So it's like when I look at 2022, it's been a big year already. It'll be a, it'll be a big year. But essentially, when you look at it, it's like we get the foundations right and then 2023 will be an even more exciting year where we're really seeing the uh, the fruits of the labour payoff with decarbonisation uh, initiatives being undertaken, which is the fun stuff. So there's lots going through to the future. Then we, I think that <laughs> we're going to be very, going to be very busy, but very entertained over the next uh, ten years or so. Sure. Well, from uh, on behalf of all the the employee base of KBR, let me thank you for the work that you and the Net Zero Project team are doing, and uh, also let me thank you for. Uh, jumping on here on an early morning there in Queensland in Australia. Appreciate you taking your time out to come and speak with us on the podcast. And uh, we look forward to hearing more about what the Net Zero Project has in store in the in the next few months. Absolute pleasure. Thanks so much. And that brings us to the end of the podcast. A special thanks to Adam Perlow for joining us. If you're interested in learning more about KBR sustainability progress, you can head over to KBR.com and download our most recent sustainability reports from the past couple of years and be on the lookout for the 2021 sustainability report, which is due out in the next few weeks. There are also numerous articles and press releases that you can access that break down how we're using sustainable technology to help our customers accomplish their business goals while also helping stem the tide of climate change. If listening to this episode got you excited and interested in learning more about the work we do at KBR and the opportunities available to work with some truly amazing people and to work for a company that's walking the talk when it comes to sustainability, I encourage you to head over to our website and check out the careers page. If you've got an idea for a podcast episode or just want to say hello, please let us hear from you at inorbit@kbr.com. And as always, a big shout out to Emma for her production work on the show. We could not do it without you. Finally, Thank you again to you, our listeners. I hope everything is safe and well in your orbit. Until next time.